crowdsourcing has become a way of life for veterinary professionals to get information, make contacts, and more importantly, learn how to get along in the world. But what are some of the pitfalls of crowdsourcing as well as the benefits? This week, we're going to discuss all of that and more on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the things that has really emerged via via technology over the last decade or so is crowdsourcing. And when we talk about crowdsourcing, we mean throwing a question out into the world of the internet and being thrown back answers, opinions, and advice from the crowd. And that has changed the way veterinary professionals access information, perform research, and make decisions. And this week, we want to talk about some of the ways that you can more successfully use crowdsourcing in your personal and professional life and how you can avoid some of the most common problems that we've seen. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, this conversation today really stems from a couple of Facebook comments, groups, things that Laura and I are involved with that have to do with like veterinary practice ownership. And we were reading through, you know, how you get those little alerts, those notifications, and a couple of things were popping up around like profitability and how you define profitability. And and while I'll be the first to admit, there are definitely different ways to analyze, assess, and report profitability. There are some pretty basic accounting principles behind that. And one of the questions was at such a basic level, and I don't want to give it away, but it just had to do with like depreciation schedules, which is really a common thing if you own a business because you're actually buying equipment and you you spend them in X number of dollars and then you depreciate over X number of time, depending on the, the type of schedule and so forth. And it's really one of those things that I think all business owners kind of know. It's It's kind of basic. And this was a person that was reaching out to the amorphous cloud, if you will, Becky and saying, hey, what is this thing? My accountant said depreciation schedules. And it really kind of alerted Laura and I to the fact that we've emerged into this time when people, you know, just sort of ask on a comment board. And Becky, I think that's very different than the way, you know, I was conducting my research and decision making, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. So I think that we have more of a life of like staying in our lane and just knowing that there is somebody out there who can do it better than us and, you know, sourcing them. I think crowdsourcing and um, information sourcing, I think people are just we live in this day and age of like, don't reinvent the wheel, reach out. Somebody already knows this. Right. And I agree with that. The accessibility factor here is what's driven this towards yeah. crowdsourcing, you know, but but let's talk back. Let me just rewind. And, and I'll, I think viewfinders, this will be the first sort of potential risk of crowdsourcing that I'll, I'll highlight. The first thing is, if you go back to when I first start my first practice uh, in 1993, early 93, you know, I had uh, I, I had already assembled a group of what we could call mentors. We didn't call them mentors back then. They were just trusted advisors. They were friends who were more experienced. All of them were older and much more successful and had different attributes that I aspired to be like, right? So, and these weren't just veterinarians. In fact, only about half of them were veterinarians. One of my my dearest mentors was a dentist. Another owned an HVAC company, right? But they all had a different element that I was trying to be like or aspire to be. 
And so I had assembled this small network of, of trusted confidants. And so what that allowed me to do was as I was like ne- negotiating to buy the clinic, uh, to deal with rent and land purchase and zoning and all those types of things you have to do, I had someone I could literally back, keep call them up and say, hey, you know, here's what I'm confronting. And then they would say, well, this is how I would handle it, or this is how I handled that situation. And over the years, they helped accelerate our success because they knew us personally. And so when I was calling with a question, they had a context, you know, to build upon because we had a relationship and, and those people are still, you know, some of my very close friends today. Um, so Becky, when you just put it out on Facebook, like you don't really have that personal connection, right? The crowd is meant to be sort of amorphous and, and I guess we would say, you know, um, impersonal because they're giving you quote unquote more objective advice, but is it always, is that always a good approach, you know, personal versus sort of impersonal? Well, it, it, again, there's good and bad to everything. That's the balance of life, right? So when we know people and they are close to us, they can give us views and opinions based on understanding who we are, knowing what our follow through our, our foundational vision, vision, mission values looks like, right? But if you are sourcing from people who don't know you, you are potentially more likely to get a third eye, right? An outside, you know, um, a more objective point of view, partially why we hire consultants to come in and look at our business, right? right? So there's an objectivity to um, outside sourcing with folks you don't know, but at the same time too, it totally requires you to be able to sift through those and be willing to sift through those and pull what applies to you and doesn't out. And I don't know that that's something we're all super good at because I think a lot of us take everything personal. Well, and you know, and one of the things I do, look, and I'm going to clearly side on this particular aspect towards the personal relationships over the crowdsourcing, because I like the fact that I had people in my life that were trusted Right. Sure. So they were going to give me the truth. And, and and you're right. There could be some people in your life that would give you advice that's sort of sugarcoated, like you're saying, well, I'm just going to tell them what I think they should hear, you know, as opposed to what they need to hear. But I, luckily, I had different you know, experience in relationships. But here's the thing. They also have potentially, or at least they should have a vested interest in your success, right? These are people that truly like you and they want to see a positive outcome. So if they're, if you're asking them about how to deal with a zoning regulation, for example, which we had plenty of those in our early years, you know, I had people who would say, I could say, how do I go before this board and and make this argument, you know, cogent and, and actually get the, you know, the change that I need. And those people wanted to see me succeed, right? Whereas sometimes with the crowd, Becky, they don't have that personal investment in you. Does that make sense? makes perfect sense. And again, it, it, I argue the balance of both, right? Like that is definitely a, 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 a an absolute benefit, right? To having your tribe. And that is the importance of having a tribe. And I think it really is about being able to balance both because you need those people around you who will be honest. It's not about sugarcoating, who do know you to give that advice. And like you said, are invested in seeing you succeed but remember that you are limiting yourself to the tools that they have in their toolbox still. And they're going to be pulling from their own personal experiences. And because they're pulling from their own personal experiences, you you, you limit yourself. But again, that's the part of having kind of a little bit of everybody. Right. And I think one of the one of the best ways to deal with that is to is to have both and to say that's maybe what you should be crowdsourcing is, hey, my people close to me are saying I should do X, Y, or the Z, or it means this, this, or this. 
what have your experiences been? And I think when you're crowdsourcing information, being really specific about the question is important to getting good answers. Exactly. The quality of your answers are only as good as the quality of the question. But Becky, when we were sort of prepping for this episode, you said something that impacted me greatly around this topic. And you said, you know, Ernie, I, I like there's so many benefits to crowdsourcing, but I wonder, are we losing this personal tribe? Like, sure. you know, I, as I was describing my little personal group of mentors, so to speak. And you said, you know, what I worry about is, is there a generation that literally has replaced those personal connections with this impersonal you know, crowd, if you will. So I think that's, that's something really to, maybe we should share more with the viewfinders because it's a good, it's a really good observation. Well, it, it is. And it's a, it's a funny thing too, to balance, right? Cause I think we do have a lot of introverts in our industry who are like super content with the ability to just say, okay, I can get information without actually having to make face-to-face contact or carry <laughs> right. on a conversation. And that's great. But, um, you know, I was on a meeting this morning and they were talking about how they're just starting to get back into the office and how they were having a brainstorming session and the human energy, the human aspect of the just literal ions of energy in the room intermixing and having that social connectedness together was so impactful. And they said, you know, we would not have had this productive brainstorm if we were on Zoom. And so you really, truly cannot replace personal relationships and having that. And I and I do think that it creates an easy um, excuse to not have those people who are personal in your life. Um, and again, just because I'm about the silver lining, I think it gives you an opportunity to meet more people. But I think then you need to take the next step to make those meaningful connections. Yeah. And that's that's I love what you just said, because it is the meaningful connection that you create. Because like, look, I met these people through different you know networks and we became friends. And that's really the important part there. We became friends. So here I was asking them about well, listen, I'm trying to do advertising, right? So what are the best avenues for me at this stage? Like should radio, newspaper, TV? You know, so I had this wonderful person who had a highly successful local business. And you know, he said, hey, here's what we did. Here's probably my work for you in the vet world. Um, and again, he was completely removed in a totally different service sector. And over the time that we you know, were working together, especially as we became closer and closer as friends, our relationship started turning towards, you know, what about children, right? And asking about advice on in different investments and, and like, you know, just getting along with Laura, right? I mean, there were, it became, it evolved. And I think that's the beauty of the personal connection because it is difficult to have an evolution of the relationship if it's a crowd, right? I mean, I'm not saying that you can't have wonderful online, you know, experiences and relationships because you can, but I'm kind of with Becky on this one as well, where it's like, Boy, when that human energy mixes, you know, when you're sitting outside, you know, watching a sunset with a nice cold beer in hand and you're talking about the meaning of life, Becky, for me, that's what really made it meaningful. Sure. I mean, you know, you've you've got to have that. And I think we lose that in a lot of different ways, especially just as we become adults. And I think we become content in um and and content in being more isolated and wrapped up in our families and wrapped up in our day to day. So and a lot of times our tribe becomes the people who are closest around us without um, actually putting any effort into building it. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'm always friends with the people I work with. And then I think we go through a hard time because then we leave that job and or those people leave and we cycle through friends and we cycle through tribe. So um, I think 
we look for meaningful long term connections because on social media, they don't go anywhere. They they're dependable. Right. But in in it, it is as much of our own job, it is as much personal work to create a, a system of support around you as it is anything else. And I think one big mistake we are making and I see other generations making is that instant gratification. Right. It is that. Well, I can go on a group and I can get I, and I mean, I did that. Too. I have done that so many times where I'm like, um, what kind of fish is this? Post it to a fishing group and 700 answers right. in 15 seconds. So I think identifying the time and the place and also ensuring that we are balancing it is really important. Um, and I think also being able to scrutinize I, I, we we take in everything. And I think in a place where we are already uh, maybe a little bit emotionally overstretched. Crowdsourcing can be brutal, right? Like like social media can be brutal. And so I think sometimes we maybe need to think twice about moving in that direction first because of what we get back. And be, and, and there's just trolls everywhere. Uh, people about to go say that, right? out of their way to say nasty things for no good reason. Um so it, 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 I just think we really need to be balanced. I'm just balance is going to be my theme for today. Right. Do a drinking game to how many times I say balance through this episode. You guys do it on a Friday night. Well, you know, there's a really popular uh, for pay veterinary network of information. We'll leave it at that. And there was yeah. recently a, a legitimately honest question that was asked by somebody. Right. It was just like one of those, you know, practice forum types of things. Uh, and many of you know what I'm talking about. And so anyway, somebody just asked this question and it just it makes it on the front page of, of the VIN, if you or I'm sorry, of the perhaps veterinary network of information. And um, so, you know, I click on it to see, hey, what's this all about? You know, what's hot? I like to check it out. And you could see all these, like you said, just people piling on and like not actually answering the question, but just saying what a stupid question it was. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, this isn't helping. I'm sorry. They didn't ask to be judged. Right. right. You know, and it kind of gets back to that question about, you know, like this was basic uh, depreciation, you know, which I would really expect a lot of business owners to know. But I didn't jump in, you know, Laura didn't jump in and go, what the heck are you doing? You an idiot. You know, we, we didn't do that. But yet, like you said, there's a lot of people that feel like I will go out of my way <laughs> to make you feel. So that is a risk, a potential pitfall of using the crowd, because as Becky just so eloquently put, there's people that just love to troll. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just it, it's easy to absorb the negative. Right, and, right. you know, like we always say, like, we just don't read the comments. Right. Like when you're in the quote, but when you're asking unquote, a question, the whole comment. Is well, the that's thing. what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say, though, is that when you're in the public eye, we'd say just don't read the comments. And so you kind of learn to just turn it off because it's so hard to filter. So then when you go about asking a question and then somebody just comes back with nastiness. So like f the example that keeps popping into my head right now is we um, got some oysters with those little oyster pearls. And I had never seen an oyster pearl before. Like, I'm sorry, not like a pearl. They're bugs. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, they're little yeah. bugs. I didn't want people to think I was actually because pearls are included. Um, they're bugs. They're not, they look like a big fat tick to be perfectly yeah, honest yeah. with you, like a spidery thing, but they're del quote unquote delicious. And you cook them with your oysters and it means that you have really, really fresh, healthy, good oysters, right? Nothing like a parasite to tell you that it's healthy. And so um, I posted like, what in the hell did I, is in my oyster? And so many people came back and just said like, well, you must not eat very many oysters. Right, right. Like, 
Right. Do you feel better that you just got like why I just asked you what it was? Why did you take your time to tell me I'm not good enough? Right. right. And I think that can very much be the problem here with this crowdsourcing is with the very helpful comments become just nasty nastiness. And that's something your tribe is not going to do to you. That's something that people are not going to do to you. And I think it's not really healthy the way we are. We are eliminating that. Right, right. I, I love that. So again, you know, that's a potential risk of using the crowd. But there are several benefits to this new world of crowdsourcing and be able to instantly access wide swaths of information. And one of the things is like Becky and I are in a very rural part of, of the country. I have only practiced in a very, very rural part of North Carolina. And so I it was out of necessity that I created these early networks of mentors early on. But today, you know, if you are living in small town USA, like many of us are, and you live in a small clinic, you work in a small, you know, environment type thing, you know, suddenly now you can learn amazing anesthesia techniques from Tasha McNary, right? I mean, Tasha McNerd or whatever. It's Tasha McNerd, right? That's her handle. Yeah, that's what yeah. she she goes by. And, you know, this is National Pain Awareness Month here in September. Um, and so she is actually living her very best life right now on social media. Go Tasha. But I think this is somebody we can point to that we can say has changed the face of anesthetic knowledge on a national level. Right. And to your exact point, like it or not, we have a lot of OJT assistants running anesthesia. And it's something I have always been like, this scares me kind of a little. um, But I know that we've got a lot of great OJT um, assistants and help out there. But um, to be able to go onto the Internet and say, I have a patient I have never worked with before. I have a, 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 a dog with this type of cardiac condition or whatever this is, and I need to run anesthesia. And what have your experiences been to get back a, a ton of great answers? Um, it makes you feel so confident going forward. Nice. Um, it, you know, and similarly, I have a PKD kitty client who. Her her veterinarian basically told her not to spay the kitten because it had BKD. And um, even though all of its blood was in parameters and that it could die. And I was really personally kind of upset about this information. Right. Because I'm like, well, so can kittens die. Like, I'm like, this is a terrible <laughs> idea. And so I went on to anesthesia nerds and I said, hey, guys. What are your experiences with PKD kitties and um, anesthesia? And like even like so Eric Zamora had some amazing feedback. Like these are the things you're going to want to worry about and blood pressure and temperature. I had a a girl come in and say, hey, I just did a dental on a 16 year old PKD cat. So like shruggy face. And then when I could provide my client with here are the experiences of my colleagues. Right. She went to a different veterinarian and got the cat spayed. So this is like monologuing. But the point is just that. You know, even as somebody who wasn't running the anesthesia, I could go and get great information to share with my client. Um, we can build confidence. Holy exotics, right? Like that's a great place to source. What am I doing with anesthesia with exotics? So we can do better patient care across the country. And that's really all I care about is the patient care and outcomes. So it has created a really, really beautiful, instantaneous, very fast moving network of information for a lot of reasons. Absolutely. And this is why, like, I believe for medical questions and advice and so forth. Wow. There's probably nothing better. I I mean, I think there's some trusted, you know, forums and groups and platforms and websites that you can can cater to. uh, But regardless, you know, I think this is a great utility of it. And you're right, Becky. And I will say this. This also leads me to a great source of frustration. Uh, 
amongst my veterinary uh, colleagues, and that is that they don't take the time to actually research it. And they do just like your example, where they just dismiss something without even doing some casual research. And that's one of the benefits because this, I, I keep coming back to accessibility, which has changed everything. I mean, Becky, that's a simple Google search, you know, or certainly go yeah. on your favorite, you know, VIN type of platform and just type in, you know, PKD anesthesia. Um, okay, there you go. You're yeah. going to be, you're going to see that maybe, you know, hey, let's take precautions. Let's do what we can to keep this as safe as possible. But it is 100%, you know, something that's reasonable. But I think the benefit of your colleagues' experiences and assurance is also something that you won't get from that Google search, right? So them saying like, you're good to go, man. And then I also think about these techs who come on to these sites and say, like, just looking for assurance. Like, I had a patient crash. I had a patient pass. Like, can you tell me if I did anything wrong? I think they're looking for criticism, uh, you know, constructive criticism, but also reassurance. And um, so I really feel like this level of networking. And, and I also think about how often I've been the only registered tech in a clinic. Um and understanding that these networks usually are not super limiting. And like, so like veterinary anesthesia nerds, you don't have to be credentialed. You know, this is because if you're doing anesthesia, you should have access to the knowledge. Um, it's just a really good way for all people to be able to connect and do better. And, and, and again, I think that's what matters at the end of the day. Yeah, so absolutely. When it comes to accessing information nearly instantaneously, yeah. you can't beat the crowd. You can't beat these websites and so forth. The second thing is if you don't have that personal network available in your rural part of the world, then this is a way to get it. It's by proxy. We get it. Becky and I have kind of made a case for some important, you know, personal relationships in your lives. But guess what? If you just don't have it accessible easily, then this will serve, you know, as a, as a good uh, substitute, I think, in many instances. And hopefully it will encourage you to then, as Becky has said repeatedly over the nearly four years of this podcast, it will extend into real life because, you know, Becky has told you there's so many people that that she has worked and networked with online that then they become great friends in real life. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, that really, truly always stems back uh, from a non-veterinary standpoint to um being a military spouse, one of the strongest networks of support. And I still have friends on, you know, social media that I've never met in person who have been so meaningful friends and support systems to me throughout the years. But I also have those in human form. So it is it is important to balance that. And one of the best pieces of advice I think I've I've gotten in the last few years is to ensure that um, some of your tribe, it has nothing to do with veterinary medicine. And some of your tribe could care less who you are and what you can offer them from a veterinary standpoint and just know you for who you are as an individual outside of your career. Um, and I think that that's very important as well. And whether that is online, in person or both, just make sure you're, you know, getting out of your veterinary self too, so that, um, you know, in the crowdsourcing is available for that too, I guess is what I want to say. I see, you know, posts on these websites that are veterinary related so much that are like, what podcasts are you listening to? A veterinary viewfinder. Um, you know, Thank what, you. Thank you. what are you watching on Netflix? You know? And so, um, just remember to crowdsource and to, to social network in all areas of your life as well. Um, and to build your tribe in all areas of your life as well. Right. And then one of the final things, I think the attributes, positive benefits of crowdsourcing is, is, and I know we've said this in multiple forms, but we'll just say it formally. Uh, that is the wide variety of opinions, experiences, and advice that you can get. Because, you know, it's one thing for me to have this little network, and I would call the one person that I felt like I could trust when it came to this issue. 
Well, with the crowd that you have available today, you can literally get 150 of those types of people in your inbox if you want. Now, as Becky has said, the challenge with that is sifting through what applies, what doesn't, what makes sense, what's truthful, what's incorrect. You know, I mean, you have to do some work on, on your own. But wow, Becky, I mean, that is that's game changing. Sure. It's game changing for our patients. It's game changing for us. Um and, you know, again, you, you can do this in your neighborhood apps and find out who the best mechanics are and get a painting yeah. person. And so there's so many ways to utilize technology for, you know, really great um, information sourcing. But it's like you said, we need to be able to sift through it. We need to be able to um, apply our own knowledge and then maybe funnel that down to your local tribe and say, here are some of the suggestions I got online. Right. What do you think? And to run that through the people who who know you best. Um, it's all about making it work best for you, right? Like we're not here to give you the answers, but we're here to kind of bring to light and have a conversation and think about like how we get information, what it is and the effects of the information we get. Um, because you're absolutely right. Like I belong to, you know, groups online that have nothing to do with veterinary medicine, but have to do with animals. And there's some terrifying answers on there as well. So uh, <laughs> you aren't joking. There's some horror stories around every <sighs> post. I, I can tell you that from from personal experience. But again, viewfinders, you know, the reason we bring up this conversation is because we do, you know, in this COVID-19 era, it has changed the way we relate. I mean, mo many of us have had to do some form of, you know, curbside service, you know, or online work. I mean, we've all had to sort of adapt to this social distancing rules around the world. And so, you know, we, we found as Becky and I were having this conversation before the show, we were going, wow, you know, how is this changing those personal relationships, those connections? Are people becoming over-reliant on overly reliant on like this crowdsourcing type of thing? Is it then replacing human, real human interactions? And then what will this mean for us on the other side? We don't have the answer. No one does, but it's just bears thinking about because as veterinary professionals, we expect this to be, again, one of those things that changes in our lives. And so um, I think, again, there's a silver lining here. As Becky said, we have amazing access to information we never would have had prior to all of this. And this just accelerated that adaptation and acceptance. But on the other side of that, if we lose human relationships, you know, is that the fair trade-off? And I don't know. I, I don't think it is for me. But, you know, Becky, that's really, I think, the dilemma that we're going to be faced. Yeah. And, and I think it's just going to keep going, right? There's more TikToks and, you know, Snapchats and, you know, quick blips of communication and um, comfort with perfect strangers to to be had in the future. So I think it's just something to be mindful of as we slip into what's convenient. It's so funny you just said that because uh, over the Labor Day weekend, we're recording this right after Labor Day. Uh, I Becky got a, a, a message on my Instagram from some person that I know tangentially uh, who had seen something on TikTok and wanted my opinion if it would help, help her dog. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, wow. Okay, that's a that's crowdsourcing, but it's TikTok in and oh my yeah, gosh. It's and well, it's also how I've decided <laughs> I feel like Channing Tatum and I are dating. Like they're my personal messages <laughs> that he just sends me. So there's so much good to be had out there. <laughs> so much carefulness to be too. Also, public public warning against TikTok. That's a that's a rabbit hole. Yeah, it really is. And, I and can't look. get out of that thing. They were brilliant um, with what they've done. So, uh, you know, 
it, it can be, it, I guess the, the part of that too is like, it can be an escape you need to be really right. careful well, with. And, and but it is was... becoming, it is becoming a, a source of like information and how to's. And it's like one more thing we have to stay on top of because not only are we crowdsourcing, but so are our clients. Right. And, and honestly, when I went and looked at the link on TikTok, it was an ad, right? So yeah. this was like, it wasn't, you know, so already I have to go, okay, first of all, as nice as this person may be, you know, this is a paid endorsement. I mean, you know, it's yeah. kind of buried in their little little thing, but you know, you have to. Yeah. So again, sifting through all this stuff. So viewfinders, again, you know, we want to hear from you. How are you using crowdsourcing? What are the positives and the the cons, the, the pros and the negatives, all that good stuff. And how are you sifting through what you can take into your life and, and help you be more productive versus the stuff that sometimes is just trolling? Yeah, we really want to hear how you feel about this topic and let us know if there are other tough topics you want us to tackle. Yeah, and if you're out there trolling people, let us know why. What does it do for you? Why are you so mad? I think you're going to uh, invite trolls on our Instagram. You can sure. find us on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. And you can talk to Dr. Ernie if you want to over on Twitter. Um, at Vet and if you're trolling, it's at Becky RVT. Just... Just saying. Just Bring it. Saying. <laughs> uh, I'm here for it. I've got I've got that pent up COVID life. And if you're not in a trolling mode, definitely go over to iTunes. Leave us five stars. That really helps us reach more veterinary professionals like you. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, we think that crowdsourcing has so many positives for our profession. But we also want us to just approach it a little more cautiously. And don't forget the people in your life, because at the end of the day, as Becky said, it's the meaningful relationships that count the most. Bye. Bye.